There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly, still goodly morning, actually. It's 11.59. Goodly morning to you. Just squeeze it in. It is still a goodly morning. Goodly morning to you, too, too. Yeah, two, yeah. Two, 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 two. How's your morning been? I just uh, chopped up two gigantic cow's hearts. Wow. I thought you were going to say I just chopped up two builders after I had killed them <laughs> <laughs> after some of our conversation in recent weeks. Cow's hearts. Yeah. Uh, is this as a... I mean... Tell us why. This isn't some sort of psychotic episode. This is presumably to feed yourself at some stage or feed somebody. Not not me. Right. Or, or a person. D- the dogs. Right. The dogs. The, the dogs. dogs. But Jesus, these things are massive. They're huge. I mean, I guess that's to be expected. Cows are pretty big things, aren't they? They're Where did fr- you get them? In the butchers. I, I asked, right. asked the butcher, can you get us some cow's hearts? Because you can get lamb's hearts. They're fairly oh, easy enough to come by, but he said, I can get you a couple of beef hearts if you like. It was like, okay, but they're big. You know, there's more than uh, there's more than one meal in one heart. Uh, I see. So, yeah. A hearty meal, if you will. A but hearty did meal. You, that's not great. Did you, uh, do, do humans eat those as well? I don't know. I know that humans eat lamb hearts, humans, <laughs> people. <laughs> Um, Other people. We're humans too. We're all the same. I remember being served lamb heart Uh, at home when we were growing up. My mom would make lots of stuff that you don't necessarily get in the shops these days. So we would get heart. There'd be lots of kidneys, Mm. liver and onions, uh, tongue sometimes. Tongue, yeah. yeah. I've never eaten tongue. What's tongue like? Like a tongue. Kind of what you would expect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, chewy. I imagine it to be chewy. Yeah, they cure it sometimes, don't they? And they, they slice it very thinly, I think, and uh, mm-hmm. and serve some of that up. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they're just going to chow down on some beef heart a bit later on. And, what a uh, treat for them. Exactly. Full of blood and iron. It's good for the dogs and for their coats and everything else. Um, I, I guess it's a pretty gross opening to the podcast, though, for anybody yeah. listening. We probably lost a few people there. <laughs> <laughs> the vegetarians will tune down. <laughs> Sorry about that, folks. But, you know, it's the circle of life. That's the way it goes. Absolutely. Um, And it's the dogs who are responsible. They demanded the beef hearts at the end of the day. Well, exactly. They're raw-fed dogs, so they've got to get, like, raw food and raw meat and all that kind of stuff. So uh, you can't give a dog tofu. That's that's what what I'm saying on this. No. We could try, but I don't think they'd like it. Mm, How was your morning slash weekend? My weekend was good. I was away all weekend. My brother of Chelsea supporting Infamy was married this weekend. Uh, so I was there 
carrying out best man duties. Congratulations, Charlie and Emmy. It was a lovely weekend. Up well in done Yorkshire. to you guys. Well done. Congratulations. Yeah, well done to them. Um, and But I'll tell you what was not ideal about the wedding. Uh, all of the tables at the dinner were named after Chelsea legends. Oh, so, I mean, I found myself on the top table. Oh, no. Um, no. Well, listen, the top table was named uh, Drogba. Oh, which okay. It could have arguably been worse, but I was not sat with my wife. She was sat because I was the best man. I'd sit on this top table. It was all traditional. Yeah. My wife was sat with my brothers and sisters, and she was sat no. on the John no. Terry table. <gasps> what an insult. Frankly, I think your brother, um, after this celebration, you, you need to part ways. That's, that's just, it's just. I mean, not I don't know how she thing. could eat a thing sat at that table. Oh, my goodness. The, the taste of John Terry. You know, the scent of him hanging in the air. Yeah, we're losing all our listeners now, for sure. <laughs> That's more disgusting <laughs> the, than the, the, the beef hearts by a long the shot. taste of John Terry. Ugh. Um, but anyway, that aside, if I can set that aside, it was a good weekend. What, what about you? Just watching the, well, the, the, the two important football matches, the World Cup final and, of course, the Boreham Wood game. Well, I didn't watch the Boreham Wood game. Right, because it's meaningless. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. I had loads of stuff to do on Saturday afternoon and it was like, there's a whole long season coming. There are more important preseason games to come. You know, yeah. we can we can glean a little more information when we play somebody like Atletico Madrid or PSG or when Arsenal come to, to Dublin in a few weeks' time to play. It is Chelsea, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Chelsea. You know, we can... We can Garner a bit more about what Unai Emery is doing and how he's going to do it from those games, I think, than, you know, friendly against uh, a non-league team. I'm sure it was very enjoyable and lovely for everyone who was there to watch all those goals and to see the players uh, and what have you, but I didn't watch it beyond looking at the goals and the highlights of the goals. I assume you had it on your phone. Yeah, during the ceremony. During the ceremony and And in the dinner. I did keep going up to my brother and saying, where's the big screen? Have you not heard about this? I mean, it is the Gunner Blog Derby. Borenwood is where my family home is. And right. you know, Arsenal are the club of my heart. I mean, I think I made the right choice. I think so. Arsenal over Borenwood. I think so. I mean, you, I can imagine you were doing the, the best man speech and saying that, you know, it's your pleasure, my pleasure to uh, introduce today the lovely couple. What a magnificent Eddie and Ketia. Get in. Yeah. Feel like that. <laughs> It was kind of like that. I mean, you know, the whole wedding uh, was would potentially have been very different had last week gone differently for England. I think it would have been a kind of World Cup-themed wedding had they managed to make it through to the final, but yeah. obviously after events on Wednesday. I mean, it, for the wedding, it was probably a good thing. It meant that people were at least a little bit focused on proceedings and rather than just thinking about the, the game the next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But look, you know, 8-0. 8 nil. 8 nil, yeah. 8 nil. I mean, it's fun. Absolutely. That's all it is, though. It's it's completely fun. I know uh, some people were having a little pop at me uh, on Twitter over the weekend because I didn't really mention it. But, you know, A, I didn't see it, and B, pff, who gives a fuck about a game against mm. Boreham Wood? You know, we've got a lot to come with this new manager and this new coaching staff, this new regime and everything else. So, you know, we'll ease ourselves into it uh, pretty gently. I think what will be interesting is to see you know, the squad for the tour next week when they take off to uh, to go to Singapore. Did you see this uh, the story that basically the, the, the team that played the first half got on a bus straight away and went back, and went back to London Colony for a, a second training session? I did. Is that true? That I don't know. At half time? I don't know. You know, I, um, 
We keep hearing all this stuff about how how brilliant it is that we're being worked really hard and the players are being put through their paces and double sessions and all that kind of stuff. And we're all, yeah, come on. But what about if we're knackered on the opening day of the season and we lose 4-0 to Man City? Can we complain about that then? Is that what we put it down to? I don't know. And <laughs> truthfully, I, I couldn't really say with any confidence whether or not they ever had double sessions before, Emery. It just feels like these things are being highlighted and spoken about in a bit of a different way. But that would be unusual for the, the team that started the game to not even be there at full time. Yeah. I mean, that would be uh, that would be definitely a change of how we go about things. But it was, uh, I mean, I've watched the highlights. I actually, I mean, to tell you the truth, I did have my phone on me during the wedding and I was kind of uh, refreshing Twitter and watching the goals as they went in. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there were some great goals in there. I don't know if you've seen them, but the Aubameyang's first, I particularly love. Really nice shot from outside the box. Uh, yes, I sort of remember it. You know, I might have had a glass of wine or two... perhaps when I looked at the goals, you know, so they don't uh, live long in the memory or anything like that. So uh, that's fair enough. Well, uh, well, you know, I mean, I think what can we, five things we learned from uh, Arsenal eight, Boronwood nil. I mean, Callum Chambers playing in central midfield. Yeah. Callum Chambers playing in central midfield. I mean, is that, that feels like it's just a, a matter of a lack of bodies there at the moment. I mean, he did speak about it after the game, didn't he? He said, the manager has spoken to me about the position, Mm. but, it, it wasn't clear whether that was on a short-term basis or not. Yeah, I'd be surprised if they were going to play him there. Even Arsene Wenger spoke a couple of seasons ago about how uh, Chambers would be naturally a defensive midfield player, mm. but you know, I, I think it really is to do with uh, with lack of bodies and and uh, lack of options in there at this moment in time. So, you know, what, what else do we learn? Jeffrey Adelaide is alive. He is. He, he played and scored. Yeah, yeah. The Jeff was there. Um, Aubameyang and Lacazette seem to like each other. They seem to get on well on the pitch. Great pals. Yeah. Uh, what else to say? Socrates played his first, uh, or Socrates, I think we're probably going with, played his first Arsenal game. Yeah. Some people a bit uh, concerned about his performance. Did you observe any of this discourse after the game? I did see people say he appeared to be quite slow. Yeah, sluggish. A bit lumbering. But, you know, he could be like a juggernaut, you know? He needs to build momentum. So one game is not enough, and two games is not enough, and three, maybe four games, five games. Okay, now we're chugging. Now we're moving. Now Socrates can can move with great alacrity and nimbleness. Perhaps that's what it is. Or perhaps he's just, you know, kind of slow. So um, we'll have to wait and see and see what he's like against better opposition in games that are a bit more structured and a bit more organized, you know, to make any assessment of a guy playing his first game for the club. It's not even a really unofficial game or anything like that. So, yeah. you know, in, in the in the circumstances, I think it's, it's probably, probably a judgment made in haste. Did you hear the anecdote about the Boreham manager, Luke Garrard, who was a Boreham player for many years and then assistant manager before finally taking over? I think when he was a young boy, he's an Arsenal fan himself. He was about 12. He got uh, offered a trial at Spurs and he was such an Arsenal fan. He turned up for the Spurs trial in his Arsenal kit. <laughs> and, uh, I'd was say signed. that went well. Was signed nonetheless. Oh, so, really? Yeah, apparently so. He was on their books as a youngster, despite his professed love for Arsenal. So I don't know if that's become a bit of an urban myth, but I believe that is true. So at least, you know, it was a gooner in the opposition dugout. Maybe that contributed to the nature of the scoreline. Wow. 
Okay, well, fair play. I mean, that's that's really nailing your colours to the mast. It is, isn't it? And then yeah. it's like waving the mast around and pissing on the mast and doing all kinds of things to the mast. Yeah. Well, brilliant. Fair play to him. Uh, it obviously didn't work out, or it did work out for him. He didn't have to play for Spurs in the end. Maybe no. he would have preferred uh, that to happen, but who knows. Uh, what else did we learn from Barham Wood? Well, I've, I, I I've think... learned that it's Barham Wood. I, I would have always said Boreham Wood. I say Boreham Wood. Oh, you do? But why did you just say Boreham Wood? I don't know. I think that I do that thing when I'm talking to someone where I kind of uh, emulate what they're doing. How do, what did I say? Where are you from? Ask me where I'm from. Where are you from? Boreham Wood. Boreham Wood. Okay. It's, I'm sort of somewhere between the two. It, it, it's a weird vowel sound. But I think, hang on. Did I just, I, I've confused myself. This is like with the goal, German goalkeeper. I started with Lino, I ended up with Leno. And I never knew what was correct. Yeah. I think he, he says Leno in the video, doesn't he? He says Leno. Burned Leno. I don't care what he said. I'm just going to say what I want from now on. It's too, it's too hard for me to try and get everything right. Right. After, so, you know, after the whole Aubameyang, Aubameyang, Aubameyang thing. Aubameyang. About, yeah, exactly. That's where I kind of lost the wheel. Right. I, I think what we really learned is that uh, we have to wait and see about everything. I guess it was like it wasn't like he started the game with like a two one three four <laughs> five formation. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it wasn't like oh my god, the revolution has begun. Yeah, I don't even know what kind of formation he played. It was apparently, apparently it was a four three three. Right. Okay, and where uh, when he started with Lacazette and Aubameyang, who played wide? Aubameyang played wide left as he did for much of last season. But didn't people go absolutely crazy at Arsene Wenger for playing Aubameyang wide left, even though he did score 10 goals in whatever yeah. meta-game? People went, is it okay for Unai Emery to do it just because he's new? I guess, again, it's the fact that, well, at this stage, it's just about putting 11 players on the field and giving them a run out. I mean, some of the positions our young players were played in, a guy called, uh, is it Jordi Tutu played at left back, yeah. although he is ostensibly a right back. We were just kind of making up the numbers. Callum Chambers in midfield. So when you see things like that, it is difficult to, you know, draw too much information from a game. Yeah, yeah. You know, but there is this, I guess, desire or, or not impatience, maybe that's not the right way of putting it, but because everything is so new, people are perhaps a bit more invested in this game than they would have been normally. A game against Boramwood, Boramwood, Borhamwood um, wouldn't necessarily have stirred the loins of Arsenal fans the way that, that this one did, but it doesn't make it any more meaningful. That's where we are. No. I reckon if you were there, or even if you were just watching it live, it was probably very entertaining. I, don't, I think in any circumstance, seeing your team score eight goals is kind of fun. And there was some really good... Strikes in there. I, mean, yeah. I mentioned Aubameyang, Reese Nelson. Yeah, a really nice volley. The Jeff, uh, Mkhitaryan's goal was quite nice as well. I think what will be interesting is to see which players from the two teams that played against Boreham would make it on the into the tour squad. You know, will some of these young guys uh, like Emil? Is it Smith? Emil Smith Rowe. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm sure they will because remember last year we had Cohen Bramall and lots of lots mm. of young players on the tour. Uh, because again, it is preseason. Remember that um, it's about fine-tuning players' fitness and conditioning. You don't want to knacker them either. So they're going to ease people in with forty-five minutes here, forty-five minutes there. You know, 
making lots of changes and substitutions. We have two games in two days, don't we? In, in Singapore, it's PSG and then Atletico Madrid. I think it's the 26th and the 28th of July. Mm-hmm. So we've got two games in two days. Then they've got to travel from Singapore back to London, then to Dublin, play on the 1st of uh, August in, in Dublin. So I think they're going to take a fairly big squad to... Uh, to Singapore and, and rotate fairly heavily. So we can wait and see a little bit about what's going to happen. I think he will try and implement his his formation, his system and everything else in those preseason games because um, th- those are the games that he's got to prepare his side for the first game. After the Chelsea game, oh, we do have the game in Stockholm, don't we? Yeah, is that Sevilla? No, so, oh, it is Sevilla, isn't it? Because there was some doubt over the game because they were changing the Spanish Super Cup, but... They have changed the Spanish Super Cup um, to the point where Sevilla can make the trip uh, right. to play that game. So it that- feels like a short preseason. Is that just me? It feels like, you know, from the friendly at the weekend to us actually facing City with the travelling and also mm. the amount of players coming back late, it doesn't feel like loads of time at all. No, it doesn't. It's only a few weeks. You know, we'll mm. be sitting here in a few weeks' time talking about the first game of the season and preparing for it and everything else. So, yeah, th- there is, uh, I suppose, a need to really work hard in this period. Uh, that's probably why he's got the double sessions going on, because he doesn't have that much time to prepare his side, not simply physically, but tactically and getting them to know exactly what way he wants to play. They've talked a lot, haven't they, about the pressing style. That seems to be one of the themes that's emerging from the early part of preseason is the work that the manager wants them to do. Um, I said it in the in the podcast on Friday, Friday, but I was told that he is making sure that they press high and they get the ball back quickly. It's all about getting the ball back high up the pitch uh, and pressing as a unit. So that's not something we've we've done consistently well. You know, it's not like we no. never did it under Arsene Wenger, but we never seemed capable of doing it on a consistent basis. Some games, you'd look at us doing it and go, wow, this is great. Why don't we do this more often? And then other games, we just didn't do it at all. So it seemed to be fairly random, whereas I think with Emery, this is this is fundamental to the way he wants his team to play. Yeah, how many memories have you got of Alexis Sanchez closing down a defender on the ball on his own, frantically waving his arms for others to come up and join him? I mean, yeah. I seem to recall that happening in almost every game. So there were occasions when we did pull it out of the bag and it almost felt like a reaction to circumstance. It almost felt like the players were up for those games and in other games, I don't know, they just didn't really seem to bother. So that does seem encouraging that that's a cornerstone of Emery's strategy. It will be interesting to watch the friendlies against more accomplished opposition, shall yeah. we say, and we do play some good teams in pre-season. You mentioned PSG, you mentioned Atletico Madrid, Sevilla, Chelsea. I think those will be more interesting tests of what yeah. we might be able to do with this team this season. I mean... We don't have a game now for 10 days. Yeah, that's a big gap. It is a big gap for preseason. So I do wonder if there was a... Maybe because they're tied into this International Champions Cup nonsense, you know, these these, uh, preseason friendlies being branded as somehow important or part of a... Uh, a competition or a tournament that means something instead of just calling it that so you can gouge fans for for ticket prices but sure. maybe maybe if they commit to that they can't play any games outside of that you know but it does feel like there was scope perhaps for a game this weekend before they went to Singapore yeah but maybe the other side of the coin is that Emery's got a week now where he doesn't have to worry 
about a game. He doesn't have to prepare a team to play a match. He can just do, you know, do his double sessions if he wants. He can do his tactical drills and his team will be in better shape for that. Maybe it's a useful opportunity for him to focus on the on the minutiae. Yeah, so um, that's kind of what's going on from an Arsenal point of view. We obviously completed the two signings last week, which we discussed in the Arscast on Friday, Lucas Torreira mm-hmm. and uh, Matteo Guendouzi, who played uh, against uh, Boromwood. Yeah. He did. Uh, with, with his hair. All his hair. Mm. All his hair. It's, it's a marvellous sight. Uh, I'm, I'm envious. I mean, I've, I used to have a very similar haircut myself, but time passes, things change. Um, what of the World Mateo. Cup? Did you watch the final yesterday? <laughs> I did, yeah. I did. I thought it was a very interesting game. Uh, for a final? Very interesting. For a final, all right. Yeah, it was quite funny because in the, the bar I was watching and I would say, like, there's a fairly big French population in Dublin, I would imagine, but it was about 90% for Croatia. Mm. There was this weird weird thing. You know when um, you know when an away team scores a goal? And all of a sudden, this silence just sort of goes across uh, the ground. The home fans just like, it was like that when the French goals went in and the bar was like, oh, Really? Yeah. It was that sort of uh, yeah. passionate support. Yeah, and when the Croatian goal went in, it was like, wow, the whole fucking place went bananas. Um, what did you make of, um, I suppose, the, the first half dive from Griezmann or not? Dive, yeah, I thought it was a dive yeah. from Griezmann. Not the first I've seen from him no. in the last few weeks. No, no, no. He's uh, he's getting a bit tiresome, I have to say, Griezmann. I don't like the look of his face anymore. Um, yeah. Second one, the penalty. I wrote about it in the blog today. That it, I suppose it's just emblematic of the way these or the way people think about football, lots of people thought it was a penalty. Lots of people didn't think it was a penalty. There was um, disagreement. There was no consensus anywhere, as far as I could see. I thought it was a penalty. What What did you make of it? I thought it was a penalty as well. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, I know that I, I was... Uh, I was alone in the group that I watched the game with in thinking that, though. Mm. A lot of people were very much against it. Yeah. I... I I read a lot of about it and there was really differing opinions. And I think that's the thing about VARs, that even when you have the technology, some decisions are going to spark debate and, and not be clear cut. The ref took ages, didn't he? I mean, he was standing there and he watched it and he watched it and he watched it. And then he seemed to have made up his mind. He went back and had another watch. Yeah. You know, I think that tells us something, perhaps. I do wonder as well about, you know, the issues that we've had with VAR or the, the the decisions that you would say VAR and the referee together didn't get right, all of them were handball. Yeah. And I think there's a lack of clarity around that rule because people wave the word deliberate around. But I think that that's actually not uh, particularly clear because to imply something's deliberate, I mean, I think very rarely does a player think, I will consciously handle the ball here and in doing so accept the inevitable punishment of a penalty i think that what happens is like a reflex it's like a moment of panic uh but that's not in essence deliberate do you know what i mean yeah yeah i think it does need to be redefined i think maybe it's about defining the, the subject it's around movement of the arm towards the ball maybe mm. uh, um that's why I thought that was there. 
Same. I did. That was the, my that was my grounds for awarding it as well. Is that I felt that I felt it in real time as well. That basically it was a very good delivery, and even though there was a flick on it, that the player reacted to the the trajectory of the ball to block it. I, I, that was my interpretation. Yeah. Yeah, um, it was... But I accept that there are alternative views. Yeah, know, of course. I... Of course, I can see why people thought it wasn't and that he didn't have any time. You know, the, the, the rule for me, would I be disappointed if we didn't get that as a as a penalty if I was uh, if this was an Arsenal game? Yes, I would have been disappointed. Mm. Could I... Would I have gone mental if it had gone against us? There's always that part here that goes, this is an outrage every time we get a penalty against us. Of course. But, you know, you could see how it would be given. You've seen... You've seen penalties given for handballs much less uh, clear than that one. Yeah, and, and in this tournament, it, ha- it has been relatively consistent, I think. There have been, I think there was one exception in the Argentina-Nigeria game, but largely when the ball has made contact with the hand in that sort of manner, the penalty has been given. I do think it needs to be cleared up, and I must say I'm relieved that that wasn't sort of the goal that decided the game. I'm glad it didn't end... 2-1 because I think it just would have been unbearable the fallout from yeah. that in terms of the analysis that went on. I think so. I think so. France scored two goals in the second half. Pogba and Kylian Mbappe scoring. I thought the goalkeeper was a little bit at fault. He didn't look Same. right to me um, in terms of how he was set up, in terms of the way he was moving. His his positioning was not good for either goal. I wonder if he was fully fit. I'm not sure that he was. Yeah, I, I, you know, the, the Pogba shot, he was a little bit unsighted, but he was hugely wrong-footed. He put his, all his body weight to one side yeah. and Pogba just put it in the other corner. And you wouldn't really be happy with how he got down to the, the Mbappe goal mm. either. But France just looked... Uh, I mean, you know, they let Croatia have possession for long periods of that game, but they yeah. had such threat on the break and they had real pace and power through the middle of the team. So, yeah, they they had too much and I suppose over the course of the competition, were they winners? I mean, the final summed up the competition really for me in that it was very, very entertaining, but not necessarily the highest quality of football that I've seen. Yes, I think that's a fair assessment of of the game and the tournament. Um, So, yeah, well done. Congratulations to all of our French listeners. No doubt you're uh, nursing a slight headache this morning and uh, commiserations to any of our Croatian listeners out there. Mm -mm. I know there are some out there... um, gutting I'd say to get that far but uh, like a brilliant a brilliant tournament for them overall and very enjoyable I'd say yeah I mean they could be enormously proud nobody would have necessarily expected well a few but not too many would have expected Croatia to reach the World Cup final and they uh, really showed themselves to be an international force Mm. and Euro's coming up in two years. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens there, all right? And uh, pre-season games and everything else will start to uh, to dominate now. The World Cup has been a nice distraction for for a few weeks, but it's uh, it's time to turn our attention well and truly onto, onto Arsenal. Did you see this story today about Arsenal doing a deal? They did, announced a deal with BYD Auto. Right. who are the world's best-selling electric vehicle manufacturer, uh, and they become the club's official car and bus partner. Right, So this story is out there. Turns out that somebody has been impersonating uh, an official of that BYD auto company and going around doing deals, including the one with Arsenal, without any authority whatsoever. Wow. And what is he doing? Just carrying like a... 
a d- credit card machine and saying, I don't OK, know. Mr. Gazidis, just pop your pin in there and uh, you'll hear from us. Yeah, I mean, um, she apparently, this person rented offices in the company's name, forging a, a stamp uh, and undertaking advertising deals with a number of companies. Um, Arsenal released a statement saying BYD has informed Arsenal they believe they've been the victim of fraud in relation to various advertising agreements. This includes our partnership with BYD, which was formally launched by both parties at an event at Emirates Stadium on May 8th. We're investigating the situation and discussing it with senior level BYD representatives who were involved in the launch of the partnership. (laughs) <laughs> we will make no further comment on this matter. What a mad thing. Like, there were official senior level representatives there, and this whole thing was put together fraudulently by somebody who who doesn't work for the company. How does that happen? I have no idea. It's like the fake shake scheme taken to the next level. I mean, it sounds like the plot of a movie. That is extraordinary. Uh, wow, what a con man. This uh, con, con person. This person is. A con woman. Con woman. Mm. Con woman. I mean... Lee Juan, apparently. Quite, uh, yeah, that's a pretty impressive feat, isn't it, to fool the executive team of uh, a big business like Arsenal into thinking they're doing a deal when they're not. Yeah, Uh, we've got to say it's a sad uh, departure to one of the greatest names in Arsenal's club history this week, James. I don't know if you saw this, but... uh, Mm. Armstrong Okoflex has left. Real blow. Real, Real blow. blow. He's gone to uh, to Celtic. Armstrong Okoflex uh, is a young Irishman, of course, as people would have guessed from yes, the name. It's a very, very traditional Irish name, but uh, but he's gone elsewhere. So best of best of luck to him. Yeah, and Celtic's actually quite an interesting move, I think, for mm. a young player because I think you know that you get chances up there. We've seen likes of Dembele go there and do well and raise their profile. So, yeah, good luck to him. Unai Emery said this week, uh, James, that he wants to work with Mesut Ozil in a new way. Mm. That's quite interesting, isn't it? When he comes back, he's talking about the national team. I want him to relax. I want him to relax good. Well, I want him to relax well, Unai. That will come, though, you're English. He says, I want, when he comes back with us, to start with a good mentality. I want to work with him in a new way and with an ambition to continue with this quality and help with this quality, getting better with the team. So I wonder I wonder exactly what he means there, or I wonder is it simply a case that, that uh, his English isn't so great that he can, he can express exactly what it is he wants to say. So maybe he's just talking about turning over a new leaf or a fresh start after you know, his disappointment with Germany. Yeah, I think that that's one of the problems, I suppose, with Emery is that at the moment we're we're probably projecting all kinds of things onto things that he's saying, whereas actually he's probably not yet at the point where he can express himself fully. They have just confirmed, Arsenal, that Ozil will take a full part in the tour to Singapore. Yeah, we had so, that story on Arsbog News last week. There you go. Mm. So that you're ahead of the curve there. So he will be... He will be involved there. I don't know about a new way. I mean, there are lots of things that could be new for Mesut Ozil next season. You know, the pressing game, or perhaps a new position maybe he won't be the kind of pure number 10 that he has been in the past uh but we don't know yet we don't know yet I think if Ozil is clearly a player who requires quite careful man management and we saw Arsene Wenger adopt uh, let's say a much more carrot than stick approach to Ozil uh, <laughs> you know in terms of indulging him and giving the odd holiday and the odd bit of time off it will just be fascinating to see if Emery 
follow suit or if he tries, as he implies, something different. Yeah. Uh, because if we're going to have a good year next year, you have to think Mesut Ozil is going to be a massive part of that. For sure. For sure. He's one of the most creative players in the Premier League. He creates more chances than pretty much anybody else in this team. So if we're looking at um, improving our goal scoring and the efficiency of that, we've got two strikers in Lacazette and Aubameyang who are, are good at taking their chances, but we've got to create those chances for them. And we have some good players in, in midfield. We've got some uh, creative players in midfield, but I can't see anybody else with the vision or with the ability to unpick defences the way that Mesut Ozil can. So, you know, I, I think this idea that somehow he's he's going to be eased out or something like that, I just, I just don't see it. I don't see it. Like if you're Unai Emery coming to Arsenal and your remit perhaps is to get the club back into the top four next season, you've got to be planning to have one of the most creative midfield players, midfield playmakers in Europe, even if he has frustrated people, even if he does have certain things that he could do better, you can't deny that he does make chances game after game after game. So if he's not a huge part of the plans, I'd be massively surprised. Mm. Uh, And I wonder as well if... Emery has looked at Arsenal maybe not getting the very best out of Mesut Ozil and thought about a way to do that. Surely. I'm sure it'd be one of the things right at the top of his agenda. And I I am excited to see it. You know, it's a, we know the transformative impacts that new managers can have on players. And Ozil is someone who you just feel there is more to be unlocked from him. As many chances as he's created, you do feel there is more to be derived from his gifts and if that can happen and if he is a little bit fired up by what happened at the World Cup and what's happened with his relationship with the Germany fans hopefully that will provide all the incentive he needs to to have a big season I'm, I'm convinced that if we are to get back into the top four he is going to be really really important integral Alright anything else that caught your eye from the last week or shall we move into the uh, to the break um, Oh I've got a little good story for you about Nikos Dabizaz but let's move on and I'll tell you at the top of part two Okay let's do that we'll take a break we'll be right back with your questions and more right after this Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show. We answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter, at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Just want to remind uh, Arsblog members on our Patreon that you this week can listen to me talking to Liam Brady 
Liam Brady for a good hour talking about his entire career from joining Arsenal to leaving Arsenal, coming back as head of uh, the Youth Academy and all that kind of stuff. It's a really great chat. You can hear it first because you are one of our members on Patreon. If you would like to hear it before anyone else, sign up at arseblog.com. No, that's the wrong address, isn't it? Sign up at patreon.com forward slash arseblog. It costs five euros per month. That's all it costs. The price of a pint, the price of a medium sandwich in Marks and Spencer's. If you want to get access to that Liam Brady interview and all the other great stuff we have there, it's patreon.com forward slash arseblog Liam Brady. I can't beat that, James. Wow, that must have been really fun. Yeah. Even getting to do that interview. For sure, for sure. What a hero. What a hero. So uh, you teased us. With a, I teased you, yes. With a story about Nikos Dabizas. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I really need to deliver now. All it was was to say that I was talking to my brother over the weekend and he revealed to me he recently had the opportunity to meet Nikos Dabizas in person and uh, enjoy a meal in the company of Nikos Dabizas. Wow. And my inevitable question, and I'm sure it's the first thing you'll be thinking at home, was did he get the chance to ask him about that goal, that Dennis Burkamp moment. Mm. And he did. And he asked him about it. And he and Nikos Dabizas said, more than anything that he achieved in football, more than anything that he ever did playing for Newcastle or Greece or whoever else, that is what he's asked about most. <laughs> and he said people will just shout Burkamp at him in the street. <laughs> and uh, he was asked if he feels annoyed about that, you know, if he resents it. And he said, uh, to his credit, I think, he said, no, I don't at all. I just regard it as I was part of something historic. You know, I was part of a, a great iconic moment and it is sort of a privilege to be part of that. Mm. And then the inevitable follow-up question is whether or not he felt that Burkham meant the goal. And it was interesting to hear from his side of things what he thought. He said he, he also gets asked that a lot. And he says, actually, he thinks it's slightly redundant as a question. And the reason he said that is because he thinks if he didn't mean it, it's a better goal. And my brother said, what do you mean? He said, well, if he didn't mean that touch to land as it did, the alacrity and the grace with which he was able to spin and compose himself and take on the chance without any hesitation or surprise would make it superior. Wow. So it almost doesn't matter. And I, thinking about it, that makes quite a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, I never thought about it like that. Mm. Wow. Thanks for the wisdom of Dabizas. Well, there you go. I mean, that's uh, that really is an interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? Because yeah. if it wasn't deliberate, although Dennis has said, of course, that it was, that's exactly what he meant to do, the the speed at which he improvised to get around uh, Dabizas was, was something else. And I think he's got a good point about being part of something historic. You know, I don't think he was made to look foolish, Dabizas. No. You know, it's not like he was nutmegged and then the guy came around and did like seal dribbles over his head or anything like that. There was nothing humiliating about it. It was just a wonderful piece of skill and strength. And yeah, I mean, I I can see his point of view on that one. Yeah. It's almost a little bit like the, the, the handball discussion in some ways, because talking about something being deliberate is, is, is genuinely difficult when football happens at the pace that it does. Mm. You know, Burkamp's acting on instinct and reflex. It, you know, it's not necessarily the case that 10 minutes earlier he thought, if the ball comes to me like that, I'm going to do this. It's, mm. It was a moment of improvisational brilliance. 
Uh, and I think, yeah, the fact that Davizas recognises that and is sort of at ease with it is quite cool, really. Yeah, OK. Well, look, here's a, here's a question. We've got a couple uh, more or less the same thing. Mm. Uh, first one is from Irish Gunners, who's at Irish Gunners, who says, why do you believe the club has been so heavily focused on the we're working extremely hard in all of the official media content? And also Dan Ortega, who's at Lieutenant underscore Dan O, says... A lot of unusual videos showing the lads working their butts off in training. A bit odd, don't you think? Is the club trying a bit too hard to convince fans of the hard work? <sighs> well, yeah, mate. I mean, that feels like a reaction to the reaction, doesn't it? I mean, it does seem that there is a bit of a, uh, a deliberate ploy on the club's part to, you know, make it look like things are different and the work scale has been upped a little bit. Um, but I do think for the most part, that's no bad thing. I think they are just trying to deal with some of the concerns and some of the unrest that has been really unpleasant in the last few years. So mm. I feel like getting worried about that or annoyed about that is is a bit of a waste of time, really. You know, it is communications, but I can't really fault the club for at least trying to make the fans feel more cheerful about stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't really see any issue with it. It, 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 it seems that they are working hard. It, yeah. From everything that's... that we're hearing, they are working hard. And that's something that Unai Emery said in his first press conference, wasn't it? It was about hard work. Mm. I want the players to work. And those are things that fans can identify with because that's the thing that we can connect with the most as fans, right? If you were given the chance tomorrow, James, to, to, to play for Arsenal... The one thing you could do is work really hard. Yeah. The other thing you couldn't do, of course, is play for Arsenal because you're not you're not good enough. No. No. But the hard work, wow. But that's what I mean. We can all we can all identify with that. We can all go, well, I could do that bit at least. Like I couldn't mm. uh control the ball that's come down from a hundred yards in the sky and just land it on my toe and you know, pirouette and do all that kind of stuff. Can't do that. But I could work bloody hard, you know. Yeah. So yeah, and we we can all understand that, and it's kind of the the least we expect. And at times, it's it has felt in the last few years like maybe, although we had very gifted players, it didn't always feel like we were getting the maximum out of them. And I'm sure that that was something Emery talks about in his interview. And I'm sure that that's something that made the board interested in him because they felt that even if it it felt like not quite an antidote, but a different approach and a different emphasis and something yeah. that might uh, appease some of the more disgruntled fans. So I do think it's correct to think there is a deliberate drive from the communications team at the club to get that message across, but I don't think it's incorrect for them to do that. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. So that uh, we have that one sorted. Let's have this question. This is from, uh, did you say your question was from Irish Gunners? Yeah. I've got a question from Irish Gunners as well. What a day for Irish Gunners. Uh, do, do you think, says Irish Gunners, there is any resentment there from Lacazette towards Arsenal having been left out of France's World Cup squad? Had he have played regular football for us last season, he'd be a world champion this morning. Uh, no. No. He did play regular football for us. Yeah. He did. And then he had a knee injury, which required an operation, and he was out for a while. 
And then he came back and played pretty regularly and scored quite a number of goals in the final part of the season, if I remember correctly. Mm. So he was in reasonable form. So I don't think it's anything to do with Arsenal that he wasn't part of the France World Cup squad. I don't know why he would feel resentment at Arsenal either. You know, it's not like France crashed out in the the group stages and he went, well, I could have helped them do better. Uh, They won the fucking thing. Without yeah. him. So, you know, uh, I, I don't believe that there would be any resentment. What I do think maybe is perhaps he's he's had a first season which went, I think, went all right. You know, he, he struggled a bit, didn't he? Or at least Arsene Wenger felt he struggled a bit to, to get into uh the physicality and the fitness and all that kind of stuff you know he was taken off quite regularly after about 70 minutes wasn't he mm-hmm. you know he, he didn't complete many games in the first 6 months um but you know he's got that season under his belt and maybe he does want to work his way back into the France national team and he knows that he can do that with uh, with performances and playing well for Arsenal so I think he'll be well settled for us this season uh, he doesn't look like a guy who's in any way resentful towards the club for not being part of the, the French World Cup squad maybe he'd be uh, resentful towards Didier Deschamps or somebody else being picked over him who didn't play a big part at the uh, at the tournament but not not Arsenal I don't see that as being a, uh, a problem at all I agree. I mean, I think Lacazette did take a bit of a risk last summer. He was scoring goals and Leon and was on the fringes of the French squad and he went to a new league and he knew that didn't come with any guarantees. Um, and if you look at the French World Cup squad, a lot of the forward players, funnily enough, do play in France. You've got uh, Tovan at Marseille, Fekir from Lyon, uh, Lamar and, and Mbappe from Monaco and PSG. So maybe he might have been better off staying at home for his international chances, but he made the move he wanted to make for his club career. And I do think that for the most part, it was a success. So he can't have too many recriminations. And when Deschamps picks a squad that goes on to win the thing, it's very difficult, isn't it, to... Uh, to criticise him. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, you would uh, sound a little bit churlish if you were to, to criticise um, that kind of an achievement because uh, is, is it right he's the first person to have played and managed? I think he's the third. I think Beckenbauer uh, did it. And I think there's one more. I feel like maybe it's a Brazilian. Right. Uh, I think there are three. Okay, but on the subject of uh, France's World Cup squad, I I did have one other question for you, and this is from the Facebook page. I mean, it's from Vanig Bostanian, which is a very, very exciting name. I like that a lot. And Vanig says, many Arsenal fans were happy to see Giroud lift the World Cup, and I was one of them. Giroud is still one of my favourite people. What did you feel when you saw him with the trophy? I was happy for Olivier Giroud. Mm. I was, yeah. Even though he's playing for Chelsea now. You know, it's hard not to be. He seems a nice guy, Giroud. Seemed like a nice guy. He did good good things for us. He wasn't ever the world-class striker people wanted, but that wasn't down to him. He was what he was. He gave us what he gave us on a fairly consistent basis as well. You know, it wasn't like he had one good season, one terrible season. He was more or less a 20-goal-a-season striker every season. Mm. So he, he, I think, will be remembered fondly uh, or should be remembered fondly by by Arsenal fans because he, uh, you know, he was a, a pretty honest, reliable player for us uh, in a period when some players weren't. Uh, we obviously 
I'm not saying forced him to move, but the circumstances were such that he was left with little choice but to make a move, despite saying, you know, that he wanted to stay. You know, if we were going to sign Aubameyang, then there was going to be no football for him. And heading into a World Cup summer, he had little choice, did he, but to to move on. So despite the fact that he is playing for Chelsea now, and Chelsea are, of course, horrendous. uh, Yeah, I, I was happy for him. I was happier for him than I was for pretty much any other player in the French team certainly more than Griezmann yeah yeah, I think that's fair enough and you know there were a lot of stats flying around about Giroud not having a shot on target or something like that in the course of the tournament I mean he did play a really important role and anyone who remembers the first France game where I think he didn't start and they were really poor. Maybe it was Peru. I forget. But, you know, he his introduction to the team was really actually the catalyst for them finding some form and, and, and getting somewhere. So I think, uh, yeah, I feel that for a player who plays for Chelsea, I feel very warmly disposed towards Giroud. I wish I'd been on the, the Giroud table this weekend. Let's put it like that. Yeah. Why weren't, well, you know, why why wasn't that a thing? Well, apparently he might be on his way out of Chelsea. There's some talk this morning that they might already be looking to let him go. I so, think I think that's good. Yeah, I'd be I'd be in support of that as well. Big support. I think it's good because Olivier Giroud deserves better than Chelsea. Yes, he does. The blue doesn't suit him. Well, it doesn't look too bad for France. It's a different shade of blue, James. Okay, that's crucial. That's absolutely crucial. Fifty Thank shades you. of blue, or whatever. Um, Yeah, I I think, you know, it was a a funny little cameo there for him, but the time has come for him to move on and uh, somewhere where he will be appreciated for his his talent, for his meaty forehead, for his hair and his beard. I I don't think Chelsea fans are sophisticated enough to really really love Olivier Giroud the way he deserves to be loved. No, I feel like the safest thing for us with those fans with an emotional attachment for, to Giroud is for him to go to, I don't know, back to France or something like that. I don't really want him playing for another English team. I feel a bit queasy about the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, back to France. That'd be good. Okay, uh, this is a question from I'm Keenan, who's at Keenan Mulvaney, and uh, he writes all all in caps. So I'll shout it. Dembele, do you think he'll come? Any possibility? Would you like him? Would he fit? Etc. Hashtag Arscast Extra. Uh, I would like him, of course. You know, he's a really talented player and he's in the right kind of age bracket that this team needs. I think a bit of youthful energy, someone whose value is potentially going to increase despite the enormous amount that Barcelona paid for him. But it, it is that enormous amount that makes me think, I just can't see it. I just can't see them jettisoning him. No. It's Latin style. So early on, I think they'll persist with it and make it work because I think they need him as well. I think he's he's going to be an important player for them next season. Mm. Yeah, it hasn't been a brilliant first season for him. He was injured for a good while, wasn't he? Yeah, so he was out injured for a few months, yeah. think, a couple of months. So unless they're looking at him and thinking he's way, way, way below the, uh, the standard required, I don't think there's any way they'd move him on. And actually, if you look at some of the players that have played for Barcelona in the last season, two seasons perhaps, what was that little rat face guy that used to play for Everton? Dale oh, Lefeu. Dale Lefeu. Yeah, you know, he he was he went back there and played. Mm. And you know, he's all right, but you know, he's not what you would expect from from Barcelona. So 
I think there's uh, there's room for him to do better in his second season in Barcelona. And if he does, then his stock will rise and his uh, transfer fee may not look quite as outrageous as it, as it did at the time. So, yeah, I like him because he, he does appear to be a player of really, really uh, big potential. But I don't think there's any way Arsenal could do a deal with Barcelona without including somebody else in that deal. No. That's true. Mm. I mean, what did you make of Emery's comments about the transfer window? He sort of said, oh, I think the squad is complete, but it's basically what he said, isn't it? Yeah, he just said what any manager would say. Yeah. And what Arsene Wenger said all the time as well. He said, yeah, that's it. But, you know, if a big opportunity comes, then we'll we'll go for it. Um, and that's more or less what Arsene Wenger always said. You know, yeah. we're always open to doing more business if a good deal comes along. And that's the reality of the way transfers work is that one day there's no possibility of something happening. The next day it's it's an opportunity. Things can happen very, very quickly for various reasons. You know, whether somebody else is moving on from somewhere or somebody's got an injection of cash and it starts a kind of a kind of merry-go-round in, in kind of the same way that the Mesut Ozil thing happened for us. Yeah. You know, it happened very late. It wasn't part of Arsenal's strategy, I don't think. It was just something that was happening. We saw it. We got on top of it. We did the deal and uh, credit to the club for doing it. But it wasn't something I think we started pursuing ourselves. It was looking at what was going on with Gareth Bale and everything else. So who knows? Who knows? Um, you know, I don't think we need to talk about the Aaron Ramsey thing. Again, we've talked about it enough. Um mm. We're another week closer to the season, and as yet, there doesn't appear to be any progress or anything new happening in that regard. So that's the only way I can see something else big happening for Arsenal, is if Aaron Ramsey goes, if they decide to cash in on Aaron Ramsey, that money has got to be reinvested. But, you know, this is old ground. We've been over that one. So I suspect we are more or less done with incomings. Mm-hmm. And it's time now to move a few on. Yeah, and maybe some players won't go to Singapore and that will sort of indicate that, you know, their time at the club is is hurtling towards an end. It's been interesting, the Ramsey thing. My only thing I would say on it as a little addendum is that if you remember last summer and how many stories there were in the press about Alexis Sanchez and Meza Ozil, the Ramsey thing, although we've talked about it among ourselves, Arsenal fans, it doesn't seem to have made a huge splash in the media. You know, his situation, the fact that he's only a year from the end of his deal is not pulling headlines. Do you think that's just because the World Cup has kind of distracted everybody from that a little bit? Yeah, maybe so. And maybe maybe people are playing their cards close to their chest. Yeah. Could be a case that that's going on. Um, you know, I would be very surprised if there weren't clubs interested in Aaron Ramsey and looking at his contract situation and looking at Arsenal's willingness to to do deals like that in the past, to move players on when they get to the final year of their contract, then, you know, maybe they're sniffing around behind the scenes. I, I think you could be right, though, that the World Cup has dominated the back pages. There hasn't been, as yet anyway, the same kind of... Um, glut of transfer stories. But now that that's over, I, I suspect that that's going to start ramping up. It'll be interesting to see whether or not Ramsey's name comes uh, uh, comes up in that. Yeah, if he's part of the melee. Um, Chris, who's at Morsky Blue DF, 
has a question on a topic we've talked about throughout the summer, really, but it's a simple yes or no from him. And he says, VAR in the Premier League for season 2019-20, yes or no? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I, I think so. I actually think next season... Do you think there'll be a lot of chat about, I can't believe we don't have it yet yes. when things don't Absolutely. Think be that way? The yeah. first time there's any kind of contentious issue that we've seen solved in the World Cup. And we have to remember that a lot of decisions in the World Cup were right. Mm. You know, penalties that weren't spotted and were then given. There was a penalty overturned, wasn't there? You know, when we see those incidents, because they will occur... We're definitely going to get a whole lot of well. If we had, if we, if we just had VAR, everything yeah. would be super. Um, That's going to be the kind of uh, pundit bingo cliche phrase of next season. I'm, I'm pretty sure of that, and with some justification, admittedly. Yeah, yeah. So maybe they need another season, another year to prepare for it properly, to update the the officials and the referees. Remember, there was no English referee at the World Cup. No. There was no English referee given the upskilling that these guys got in terms of um in terms of the, the, the process and the way that it works. And also I guess they have to get how many every time, you know, every weekend there's got to be a new pool of of VAR assistant yeah, referees. So they yeah. they've got to be trained up as well, don't they? Yeah, you need another is it three officials sat in the, the VAR studio? Mm, full kit wankers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, that, they need training. The technology needs to be implemented. I think the TV companies need proper briefing so that it's all clear for people at home, maybe people in stadiums in terms mm. of their screens and what they display. But I'm convinced that next season, you know, there will be uh, a lot of people saying, why don't we have it already? So I think by the, by the year after, uh, I think it'll be in. And I'm, and I'm pleased about it. I guess I'm a convert. Yeah, I was a bit more sceptical um, until I saw it in action in the World Cup, and I'm not saying it's perfect, but I do think it has it has had an impact, uh, a positive impact for the most part. But again, the clarity over the handball thing is where we're where we're at with that. But maybe that's part of the process as well. That you know, you 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 roll something out, and you only discover along the way that there are other things that you've got to consider. Once it's out there, so so we'll see. All right, here's a question from Joe, who's at Joe Arsenal underscore on Twitter. He says, what do you make of the rumors linking Nacho Monreal to Real Sociedad? I thought nothing of it uh, when they emerged a few weeks ago, but with his age in mind, is there a chance we might sell? I have wondered about that. I think we chatted about it a couple of weeks ago about the left-back situation. He is 32 already, and I wonder... I mean, how long must he have left on his contract, would you imagine? Um, didn't, he, to... didn't he sign an extension relatively recently? Let's see if we can find out. Mm. Uh, Monreal signs new contract. January 2016. Really? Is the I last thought... one I can find. Okay. So that would be two and a half years ago. That was a long-term contract, it was described as. So you would imagine that would take him... I don't know. Till 2020, maybe? Yeah, we should look it up, actually. I'll look it up on Transfer Market. Mm. Um, let's see what they say. Bum, bum. Let's have a look. I think that would be... What have they got? 2019. They've got him with a contract until 2019. So, right. Oh. 
So maybe there would be a little mindset of perhaps if you were ever going to make any money back on Nacho Monreal, uh, this would be the time. In my opinion, I wouldn't do it. I think, you know, we didn't pay a vast amount of money for him. He's not been a hugely expensive cast to the squad. It's not like, well, we must get back that £7 million or whatever it was. He's been a bargain. And he is still comfortably the best left back we have uh, and it's not an area where we're blessed with loads of options so I would keep him and even if it means he does decide to go back to Spain and he has time for free I think so be it I don't think that's like Aaron Ramsey where you're yep. running off 40 or 50 million quid I think we can afford that yep I'm exactly the same on that keep him he's an experienced player I think uh, Emery will like the Spanish influence in the squad as well um, and also, stories linking Nacho Monreal to Real Sociedad are a bit like stories linking David Ospina to Turkey. They, they've been something of a, right. a, a fixture of summers uh, and transfer windows in the past. So I wouldn't read too much into it, but I think he's too valuable a player for us. His experience, his consistency. Uh, you know, we do need a big squad this season. So if we were to sell him, we'd we'd either have to buy somebody uh, or promote somebody from within to deputize for Kalasnach. Mm. So, yeah, no, for me, keep. And if he wants to go at the end of next season on a free transfer, I think we can we can do that and thank him for uh, some years of great service and consistency and, and good performances. So, yeah. Uh, I'd be very surprised if if anything happened there. Well, uh, one more question. Biddy McBeardface, who's at Bearded Hannon on Twitter, says, in a perverse way, I like that Torreira has the number 11 shirt. And he says, are there any weird squad number choices that you have liked? Um, I, you know, I don't really give a fuck. About about numbers, you know, we we spend. But, I mean, hang you on. can give a fuck in a negative sense. Yeah, but like, what difference does it make, really? I know we we. Well, I grew up certainly in an era where it was um, it was one to eleven, one and that was 11. it. Yeah. You know, and you could you could you could tell where a player was playing on the pitch because of the number on his shirt. But we spent. Mm. How many years with a number three at right back? Bakary Sanya wore the number three. Number three is traditionally a left back's number. Mm-hmm. So after that. It did that, seem to impede his performances. Yeah. Like if you had a striker with number one, maybe that'd be weird. Maybe. But I find it hard to really care too much about what number a player wears I mean we all were upset about Galas 10 I think yeah yeah I can I get that I get that but I think it was like if it was Galas 1 I'd have been upset if it was Galas 2 I'd have been upset if it was Galas 3 I'd also have been upset Galas 4 definitely upset Galas 5 Galas 6 Sure. Galas seven, you know. I can see a pattern emerging yeah, here. There's sort of a pattern here. Like he didn't deserve the number ten, but really, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I find it hard to get too bent out of shape about that kind of stuff. Beyond you know, it being a bit of a laugh on social media and stuff like that. 
you know, sort yeah. of fake outrage. I mean, it's amazing the traction it gets on social media, the squad number stuff, isn't it? The, some of the biggest stories we've ever done on Arsblog News have been around shirt numbers. Like the announcement, like Diaby changes shirt number was for years the most viewed story on Arsblog News. <laughs> Seriously. It was like, what? What? All the stuff that we've covered, all the stories, all the interesting stuff, all the transfers and everything else, and that for many years until it was overtaken by something else, which I can't remember right now, was the single most viewed story ever of all time. That was weird. Diaby wearing two for all of those years was quite strange. Yeah. I thought... I mean, generally, I don't. Really, I, I am a bit of a traditionalist. I I would love it if all our players had the correct corresponding numbers to their positions. Okay. That would, yeah, yeah. I would get a thrill if if I saw an Arsenal team line up and it was the squad numbers one to eleven. I would have a little chill down the back of my spine with sheer excitement at that. But okay, that's yeah. long gone. Yeah, no, it is, and I, I get that. I get that too. You know, I would, I would be quite happy with that. Uh, but I think we've got bigger fish to fry and players have their own favorite numbers these days like Xhaka wants 34 for whatever mm. reason like nobody when I was growing up wanted to be the number 34 you know no. you wanted to be the number 9 or you wanted to be the number 5 you know as a central defender you wanted to have the number 5 and yeah you didn't want to be 34. Nobody wanted to be 34 because if you were 34, it meant that there were 33 other fuckers in front of you waiting for waiting for a game, you know? <laughs> if you're number 34, you're like the fucking crap guy in the squad. So it, times are different and players are different and everything else. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just, no. We've got enough to worry about without shirt numbers, I think. Fair enough. Absolutely fair enough. Yeah. Uh, any more questions from you? Uh, any more questions for me? Maybe. 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 Okay. Right. I'm just seeing other anymore. Uh, I mean, maybe there aren't. Maybe there aren't. Sometimes there aren't. Sometimes. Sometimes there just aren't. Yeah. John Tobin wants to know... <laughs> <laughs> who's at Fino234. What's going on with Lucas Perez's shorts? I don't know Can't the answer you. to this. Do you? I don't know either. No. <laughs> I have no idea what he's referring to. He kind of has tucked his shorts up so they look like, I'm not going to say like Speedos. Oh, yeah, I see him. Short shorts. The short shorts, you know, he likes to, um, maybe he just feels a bit more comfortable exposing more thigh. You know, maybe he's very proud of his thigh muscles and wants Did to Alexis show them off. Did Alexis do something similar? Yeah, he used to pull them up, didn't he? Sort of wedgie himself from time to time. Like, yeah. give himself a, a from wedgie. But beyond that, I don't know. It is one of the great mysteries of our time. I think he's just got nice thighs and he wants to show them off. Yeah. If I had nice thighs like that, I'd probably want to show them off too. Muscly, yeah. muscly footballer legs. Alexis used to roll his right up, I think. Like, he used to roll them up inversely on himself. Cristiano Ronaldo does it sometimes, too. Oh, he did, didn't he? He did it in the World Cup where he was about to take a free kick. So, I don't know. Maybe they just need to let a bit more air, you know, circulate through that region. Because they have, what, some sort of fungal condition? or 
Uh, look, it's uh, it's not for me to speculate on on things like that. Um, okay. I, I would hope we not. hate for a rumor to start about Cristiano Ronaldo. We um, would hate that. Yeah, yeah, and his gooch fungus. We can't. <laughs> <laughs> we can't have any of that. He's undergoing his Juventus medical now. Maybe it will fall down <laughs> on the the gooch fungus. Yeah, yeah, Juventus have announced today that the yeah. transfer of Cristiano Ronaldo has fallen through due to toadstools uh, <laughs> just beside his arse. Sprouting from his groinal area. <laughs> uh, well, I hope they're those, uh, you know, those uh, cartoon uh, toadstools. You know, the like, red and white mushrooms. Yeah, like like uh, like in Mario or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Imagine that. That'd be brilliant. It could like go all the way into him and every time he shit, it would just come out a whole load of those little mushrooms. <laughs> I feel that happens. When he runs really fast, he just leaves a trail like a, a motor car uh, speeding with its, uh, what you call it, behind it. You know, like the, the plume of smoke Smoky behind stuff. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Cristiano Ronaldo is just like, with uh, mushrooms. A mushroom cloud. A mushroom, a mushroom cloud. cloud. Uh, yeah. Anyway, on those beautiful images, which we have started and ended this podcast. We have bookended it with we horror, to be honest. We have. Uh, our apologies for that, listeners. Thank you for uh, bearing with us. If you're still here, the three of you that are still listening after the opening few minutes of this podcast, thank you very much. We appreciate it a great deal. You're, you're brave souls, and uh, we'll, we'll strive to do better from now on. Your loyalty is to be commended. It sure is. All right, we are going to have a busy week of podcasts on the site. Um, if you haven't already listened to James's interview with Ian Stone on Patreon, you can do that. Liam Brady is going up on Patreon. The Philippe Senderos interview that was on Patreon first will be released during this week as well as a special bonus Arscast, and we'll have an Arscast for you on Friday as well. So lots to listen to, lots to get your ears around. Uh, thanks as ever. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.